It's Triple M Southwest this morning. It's Angie for breakfast and so many good TV shows, so many good stories that come from this man. Adam Zawa, good morning. Hi, Angie. How do you pick which is your favourite TV show that you've made, Adam? Um, That's a really good question. I think I had the most fun on Lowdown. Um, that was uh, a TV show I made with my wife, Amanda Brocci, and um, I think we had... You know, it was every. It was about a journalist who interviewed a different celebrity each week, and that celebrity would somehow ruin his life. So it was great for you know casting stars, and and um, you know we made we discovered a, a bunch of stars along the way too. So it was um yeah it was that was probably something I I, I love um, love Wilfred of course, but we were cold all the time when we were shooting that because it was in the middle of winter and we had to pretend it was summer, um, and uh, agony of course you know. All of the agonies, oh, agony people. aunts, agony's uncles, agony of life, yeah. agony of modern manners, agony of Christmas. That's very appropriate right yeah. now. Yeah, that's right. It was, I was just looking at some clips of that the other day, you know, that um, Chrissy Swan talking about how she's got such a big head that she has to, you know, those paper hats that you wear on those paper crowns, yeah. she has to actually split it open a little bit for her head. <laughs> <laughs> the agony, the agony. Um, I know. Needless to say that uh, you are a big part of the Australian TV movie scene, you and your wife, and I'm glad you brought her up because I'm going to mention her again a little bit later um, because she's a linguist. So we'll yes. we'll get there, but we'll come back we'll come back to that. First of all, let's start at the very beginning. Um, you have written a brand new book. It's called Twelve Summers, and um, I learnt very quickly that you and I have basically one thing in common because everyone's got things in common with each other and then our lives very much tangent we were both born in Cairns so let's get that out the way early so oh people can God. understand what school did you go to no I left when I was really little like I said it tangents very soon after being born did you go did you were you born at Cairns base or base or Calvary 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 I was born in Calvary too oh. There you go. Now, from there, um, our lives are very different. You are one of the most ultimate cricket nuffies I have ever, ever encountered. What is going on in your mind, sir? Oh, look, um, I was um, – so you bring up Cairns. So I was um, – I grew up on this uh, hill. We weren't living on a hill, which is kind of isolated in Cairns. And I was an only child, and I didn't have any friends. And I probably suffered a little bit of anxiety, but whenever the cricket came on, it calmed me right down. And um, I remember, I remember that things were kind of getting a little intense because I was crying all the time. And so, Mum and Dad decided to take me to a child psychologist. And I was standing outside the door while they were in there talking to the uh, psychologist. And the psychologist said, "Have you got any ideas of what might be the problem with Adam?" And and Dad said, "He does eat a lot of honey." That was that was his only that was his only fix. But you know, maybe I was crying because of the honey situation. But but what actually settled me down was cricket, and I love the commentators. I love the players. You know, they're like kind of big brothers to me. So that it was. I come from, I come to cricket from an emotional place as opposed to kind of um, you know stats and. And uh, you know, the, the kind of more dry parts of the game, I come from a, a more romantic point of view. And this explains why I have enjoyed reading your book so much because I know nothing about cricket. Um, <laughs> That's good. I was like, I'm going to read this book. It's about cricket. It's about Adam Zwa. All right, let's see how we go. 
And I suppose um, that's very enlightening answers to what you've just said, because flicking through and having a good read of 12 Summers, I am absolutely captivated. It's it's an awesome sort of parallel story where you're following the lives and each season of summer cricket, but also what's going on in your life as well. So it's kind <clears> of like a sneaky autobiography. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I kind of look at what's happening in in my life and what's happening in their lives, you know. So it was, and it was back in the days when, when we just knew those eleven players. It was like watching a, a little soap opera. Um, and cricketers are strange people, you know. It's like, um, you know, you've been around radio people and comedians, you know. You, you understand that 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 they're very superstitious and they're kind of a little bit, there's a little bit of anxiety there and there's a lot of ego and it's a, kind of a solo pursuit. And in a way, that's what cricketers as well. Cricketers are very similar. You know, they, they have a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of magical thinking that goes on. Uh, you know, they've got to put on the left, left pad first or else I'm going to get <laughs> out or I've got to wear my, have my lucky red handkerchief in my, in my pocket or, you know. You never I, wash I, the box. Yeah, <laughs> that is disgusting, Edgy. Well, I don't know. I'm just assuming. I don't play cricket. You know, you're hey, so- you should watch the box. You should watch, watch the box <laughs> and disinfect it. Um, but what I love is this is a really like fresh and unique take on. I mean, your life is so fascinating, and I sort of wanted to touch on some of your early years at school because you really got horrifically bullied. Yeah, yeah. I, I went to a um. A pretty tough old school, um, and I, look, I wasn't alone I, 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 in in the bullying. I think most of the kids um, got bullied. I mean, were you know beaten up by the prefects. Essentially, that was the whole thing. You know, under the guise of of punishment, but the punishment was so random, and it was such a strange time because literally the year after I left, there was a new headmaster and sweeping changes happened at the school and, yeah. and kind of corporal punishment was, was ruled out and everything. So um, I've gone back to the school to give speeches and stuff and, and it's such a different place. Everyone's happy and, and that, that cloud has lifted. But my God, in the late 80s, early 90s, it was, uh, you know, can you imagine Queensland the, under the under the uh, Fitzgerald inquiry was happening at the time. It was a corrupt state. It was a police state in many ways. And uh, it was just emerging from, you know, decades of Bjorka-Peterson government, which is like, you know, if your listeners don't know, it's like a kind of, um, a, you know, a really boring Trump. Um, <laughs> you know, it was like marching was banned, so you couldn't protest. And, you know, if you walked three abreast down the street, that was considered marching. And so you'd be arrested. What? And I'm not, I didn't know this. Even, yeah, it's not even, I'm not even exaggerating. A, a, <laughs> a police car would pull up and a, and a guy would come out and, and you know, you could be, you could be arrested. Whoa. for walking three abreast down the street. Um, so, yeah, that was what, you know, so it was a kind of, that was the time. That was what we're, you know, so the fact that some 14 year olds were getting beaten up by prefects, that was just part not, of the Not court. a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> Not a big deal. Unfortunately, it was for you, though, however, and um, obviously, you know, when when you have that sort of experience in your life, it's definitely going to shape you. So let's just think about those uh, crappy prefects right now and, um, you know, think about, 
you know, they were awful. They peaked on you. They bullied you. They did it to heaps of people in school. Oh, and now you're just like one of the best Australian TV screenwriters. You're married to an absolute legend who's a director and a producer and a linguist. You've written a book about your incredible life. You're hilarious. You've got the world going on. Like, what do you think about it now? Did it help shape you or would you have just been able to do without it? Look, I wonder, I have a really good question. Um, yeah, it, it did It did shape me um, in good and bad ways. I, and um, I, I probably wish, I've been able, wish I'd been able to deal with it a little earlier. Like, I think writing the book has helped me deal with some stuff, I've got to say, you yeah. know, because you just, these things just lurk in the back of your brain or, in, you know, in your subconscious and you kind of, you don't deal with them. And so... You know how psychologists always say, "Hey, write write that down. Write write your you know whatever's going on with you. Write it down. Um, especially you know if you've gone to a grief counselor or something like that. They always encourage that. And I I find I found this process of writing it down really helpful. Um, but you're right. I I don't think I think that many people in comedy have had something happen to them that's been quite dramatic. Um, you know, I could just off the top of my head, you know, uh, Rebel Wilson was uh, in hospital for a year in South Africa with malaria. You know, um, you, you've got, you've got, mar- you know, unhappy, you know, unhappy kind of uh, home situations for a lot of comedians. And, mm. and, and I, I think that's just this, this, uh, it helps. It's a bit of therapy to actually put a comedy spin on whatever's happened, you know, whatever dark has happened in their life. So what do you think about everything at the moment? You know, we've got protests all the time, mandatory vax troubles, everyone's scared of the pandemic. Um, Is it going to be, are we going to see like a flourishing of comedians coming out of this? (laughs) Yeah, look, what I've, you know, on a practical point, on a practical sense, uh, I I love how comedians, how industrious comedians have been with their podcasts and their, and their Zoom gigs and, and just, um, and, and, and just making sure making sure the comedy gets out there. I mean, in a way, they're doing a little bit of a social service, um, but you, you, you can't say that to them also. Like, they'll get a big head. But it's, you know, I, I think so. I think we're, I, I think this is going to be a very, because there's so much um, pain in the community that, that there's, you know, there's a certain percentage of people that are always going to turn that pain into comedy. And we thank them for that because yeah. it takes a special certain someone and then can literally lift the whole room. So I don't know. It's um, it's really interesting yeah. at the moment to talk to comedians. Like, you know, like you said, everything is balanced, right? So you've always got the light side of a comedian, which is probably the one that you see on stage or through their writing or whatever. And then you've got the, the, the opposite side, which is their dark side, which is their sixth sense of humor, which they say for their friends. <laughs> That's right. You know, I always, whenever I'm doing a writer's room, I do encourage them all to get all their kind of the dark jokes out um, early on, you know, just so we can <laughs> get it out. We're never going to use these, but we, I think it's important to let the let comedians off the leash. But I think Clive James said you just, um, you, you turn a, you turn a phrase, comedy is turning a phrase so it catches the light. Ooh. And I think that's, um, I think that's quite pertinent. And I, I think, you know, so it's just literally turning a situation. So that being true, comedians, but they're just, you know, about their experience, but they're just shifting it a little bit so we can find it entertaining. That's that's awesome. Well, let's uh, turn our conversation back to your love of cricket and how that weaves its way through your autobiography. 
Yes, well, um, it, I've cho- so basically it's my life. I choose 12 summers of my life and it, run- and the- and it runs parallel to the fortunes of the Australian cricket team. So <laughs> I-, I just pick out little moments, like I pick out the underarm, the underarm uh, series, the uh, 1987 World Cup, uh, you know, the 92 World Cup, um, the 2005 Ashes, the 99 World Cup. And it's kind of, you know, you look at the characters, you, there's a, um, there's a, essentially, you know, why did the selectors hate Dean Jones? Why do Warren, Shane Warner and Steve Waugh hate each other? Um, all these kind of, you know, that the, Kim Hughes, why did he, why was he, Kim Hughes was the first person I ever saw cry. He was the Australian captain in the early 80s. And um, he was a bit of a pretty boy. And um, if you can imagine the Australian cricket team of the 80s, it was the most macho bunch of men you've ever seen. You know, they had drooping moustaches and their hairy chests and they wore gold chains. And, you know, it was all about this kind of brutal masculinity. And in walks this kind of pretty West Australian kid who was, um, it was a, little bit, a little bit of a boy wonder. And he came with a huge, you know, a huge kind of, uh, the selectors were really into him. But, you know, they, they, they wanted to give him an easy pass so he could be captain. And so all these guys just really turned on him and made his life difficult. And uh, anyway, he became captain and then the selectors, sorry, the, uh, you know, the, the ex-players turned on him because he wasn't one of them. He wasn't masculine enough. And that, you know, toxic masculinity was a thing in those days. And um, so eventually he went, oh, that's enough. And then he held a press conference um, and he cried. That was in the 1980s. You didn't see men cry at all. You hardly ever saw, saw them cry in real life, let alone on television. And then Bob Hawke, the Prime Minister, cried a few months later. So it kind of opened this tap for crying, um, which wasn't done with, you know, Australian men just didn't do. Well, there's been a lot of uh, Australian cricket players crying recently, and I'm sure that it'll continue a long tradition of. (laughs) He opened yeah, he turned on the tap, literally. (laughs) Um, What do you think about the change in captains last week? Um, Look, I, I, I think that Pat Cummins is great, but it's just, it remains to be seen whether a fast bowler will be a great captain. I hope that, you know, there's a tradition of all-rounders being good captains, but um, not many fast bowlers yeah, have so been captains. I was, I was looking at that at the start of the week, actually, the whole, like, the fact that he's a fast bowler is a thing. Can you, to somebody that doesn't understand cricket, can you explain why to me? Um, for a start, they break down. They're like, you know, they're, they're, the, they're the kind of the, the workhorses of the team. Um, so they break down and they they get injured and then who's going to captain the side? Uh-huh. The other thing, the other thing is when do, when do you take yourself off? Part of the captain's job is to actually shift, make the bowling changes in a really astute manner. Um, and you kind of go, okay, I sense that that person's, you know, the batsman's getting on top of that bowler, so I'm going to swap, take him off, and I'm going to put another bowler on. Um, so how does a bowler make that decision? When does a bowler decide to, to take himself off mm. or herself off? So it's a, that, that's why there's kind of a question mark. But, hey, all rules are meant to be broken. So um, I hope he, he's a stand-up guy and um, just, a, just a, comes from a very decent 
family who do a lot of charity and everything. So I, I think it's pretty good that, that they've given him the shot. All right. Well, that's a really good insight. Um, something else that reading your book has given me is a realisation that reading through all the 90s, I realised that I knew all the players and I knew what was going on <laughs> and the drama in their lives. And then I, I, I went backpacking overseas for a long time and like everything pop culture for me has got a big five-year gap, basically. And I just, I lost it all and I've never come back into it. And now my favourite cr- cricket player is Usman Khawaja because I love the way the commentators always say his name and he's a badass. But I'm very <laughs> confused about who all the, the players and the ins and the outs are. And my now fiancé is an absolute cricket nuffy. He'd be the second biggest cricket nuffy I've ever spoken to <laughs> after yourself. And I feel like, you know, I, I have to do a bit of due diligence. He makes a real effort for me in my life and what goes on. And I think this summer is the summer that I have to get into cricket. So have you got a, a quick cricket 101 for this summer for us? Yeah, so uh, it's, the great, you know, it's the greatest rivalry um, that there ever was, Australia versus England. In, in oh, the, I'm all across cricket. that. My parents are English. I was born in uh, Queensland. There's nothing well, I like yeah. more than watching the Poms <laughs> lose the Ashes. You'll just get addicted to it. It's so hypnotic. Um, when it's not fascinating, it's hypnotic. It's, and it's quite meditative. And, you know, don't be afraid to sleep in front of the cricket too. I mean, <laughs> you can have your best sleeps in front of the cricket. It's like that kind of – and then you just wake up when there's a wicket. You're really it's, talking me into this right now, actually. Yeah, it's really relaxing. And, um, and I, I find it calms and settles me. So it's not it's, – it's not like any other game in that sense. And you, you've got, you know, there's such a a history with the players, you know, that if you look up, you know, Dave Warner's got such a checkered history. So you, you see how, how these how these people perform. You know their personalities and then you see them come out and, and you'll see that some of them try and dominate the bowling and some try and be defensive. And, and um, all you have to know is that also that the, the Poms are really out to attack us. Okay. They, they want us to go down. All right. So who's our um, best bowler for this summer? Oh, Pat Cummins. Pat. But, All right. But, uh, Patty. You know, Josh Hazelwood's bowling really well as well. So he, the T20 World Cup was fantastic. And, and he, you know, he did an amazing job in that. So, you know, and also all those bowlers, you know, that's, so Cummins and, and um, Hazelwood and Stark, they're really tall, they're like tall, and then you see the little batsmen, and the batsmen are, you know, so it starts about six foot seven, and the batsmen are all like between five seven and five nine. You know, it's such a, <laughs> it's such a funny group of, of people. A cricket team is a funny looking group, because um, you've got the shorties and the tallies, and <laughs> and then you've got a, generally a kind of a, a, you know, a stocky looking guy, and that's the keeper. Okay, all right. Now who's our who's our wicket, wicket keepers? Well, I don't know. Probably Alex Carey, I'm Alex betting. Alex Carey. All right. Alex. I'm, writing, yours, I'm right? taking notes. <laughs> uh, then who are, who are the best batsmen that I need to know about? Uh, well, obviously, uh, yeah, Smith and, and Warner and, and um, uh, Marcus Labuschagne. So they're, they're the three that you um, – hopefully Kawaja will be back this summer. I, I really like him. Um, and uh, – yeah, I, I think they, they're your, you know, just look after those people. Look at Smith, you know, just look at how, how many ticks he's got when he comes out. The, you know, when I was talking about superstitious, yes. people being superstitious before, yeah. just ha- look how many times he taps his pad. How many is that, times is he, that a thing? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So he has to do a whole kind of routine before he faces a ball. And that's, you know, it could be superstitious. It could be a way of actually getting his mind alert. Because um, you remember, you know, just a normal person facing that ball, a fast ball, a fast delivery, can't see it. You know, yeah, yet these true. people see it coming right out of their hands. So they're, they're literally kind of superhuman in a way. Adam Zwa, I think you've just about done the impossible. You've just given me a really great insight into who I've got to be keeping an out for. You've got you've got me in with the naps and the meditation and the hypnosis. <laughs> like, I, I really think this this is going to be my first real summer of cricket. You have given me a gift, sir. Oh, that that's good. You know, it helps to kind of um, it helps to be in, in love with someone who. <laughs> Well, uh, one more thing before we wrap this up. So your wife, Amanda, director, producer, yeah. linguist, um, I, I have a favour to ask you just in, in your lives, you guys write scripts, they go out on Australian TV, uh, things become part of our language, you know, it becomes part of the culture. I've got a sneaky favour. Yeah. I made up a word <laughs> and I am determined, it's my life's goal to get this word to be a used word. I want it to come back to me one day, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Okay. I want you to guess what it means, all right? Because that's the yeah. test of a good word. All right. The word's joyvious. Joyvious. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just, you're just obviously feeling a lot of joy. All right. And, no? Close. <laughs> you, know, you know how there's like envy and jealousy and they've got oh, yeah, very yeah. negative connotations. So yeah. say you say to me, you call me up and you're like, hey, Ange, you want to come to the cricket on Saturday? And I'm like, oh, I'd love to come to the cricket with you on Saturday, Adam, but I've, I'm, I'm, I've already got a gig on and I'm actually really looking forward to it. I'm hosting a festival in Donnybrook and I'm, I'm super stoked about it. I would say I'm not jealous that you're going to the cricket, even though I would like to be there, but I'm excited with what I've got going on. So I'm joyvious because I'm happy with what's going on in my life, but I am missing out on the cricket with you. Oh, yeah, that's a lovely thing because you, 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 you've got a foot of both camps then, haven't you? Yeah. And you're not, you know, it's, you're basically, um, uh, you're not offending anybody. Yeah, well, th um, that's it. Yeah, I think that's a great, I think that's a great word. Um, right. Well, next script you guys write, whether it's together or separately, your challenge is to, to start getting joyvious into the uh, Australian culture. <laughs> yeah, it's like fantabulous. I mean, yeah, that, that, it's kind of, yeah, there's a, there's a melting of two words. And, and you know, I, having spent a bit of time with linguists, they love, they love language developing. They don't, they're not kind of sticklers, you know, like grammarians. Oh, <laughs> yes. Grammarians are sticklers. Linguists aren't. They love the evolving nature of language oh. and the new words that come up and everything. That's all great for them. They love it. Well, this has been an entirely fascinating conversation. We were supposed to just focus on the book and we've gone absolutely everywhere. Um, this book is good for people who love reading books about fascinating people. It's also good for people who love cricket, but they're not necessarily mutually exclusive. So maybe you've just got a cricket lover in your life will still like the book, or maybe you've got someone like me who wasn't interested in reading about cricket, but has accidentally become interested in reading about cricket. It's called 12 Summers. It's quite fantastic. Adam Zawar, thank you for your time. Thanks, Angie.